Today we get to wrap up Exodus, and I've got to tell you, in the nine years we've been at Watermark, this has been my favorite Bible study of, of all the, the ones that I've done. I think it has something to do with being on such an amazing teaching team. Um, you'll hear more from the other ladies later, but um, I am I'm so thrilled that we got all the way through this amazing book. We have finished all the way 40 chapters in a book that talks about the God who rescues, redeems, and reveals. We started with baby Moses, born as a Hebrew baby to parents who, like all the other Israelites, had been made slaves in Egypt. Then we watched God display his sovereign grace over a baby who had been sentenced to death by an evil pharaoh who turned that sentence on its head when Pharaoh's own daughter adopted Moses and trained him up as a prince of Egypt with the finest education and leadership training in the world. And then we watched God do graduate-level education and training with Moses in the desert for 40 years as he learned how to lead sheep, which he was going to need with a stubborn, stiff-necked, rebellious group of Israelites. We saw God reveal himself to Moses in the burning bush when he called Moses to lead his people out of slavery into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. We watched God put his power on display through the ten plagues. I would suggest, ladies of Watermark Plano, The plague number seven took on a much greater meaning to us last week. Hail. (laughs) Um, Let me just read what the plague was and see if it doesn't mean anything different to you if you, like me, were one of those people that had to shout to be heard over the sound of egg-sized hailstones hitting my skylights. Behold, about this time tomorrow... I will send a very heavy hail, such as not has been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that is found in the field and is not brought home, when the hail comes down on them, will die. I was thinking about that verse as the hail was pummeling our house. I I totally get this, this hail thing. Our neighborhood now has more signs for roofing companies than campaign people. (laughs) Political signs. We also learned about the Passover. And as the Israelites sacrificed a lamb and then painted their doorways with the blood of the lambs, we learned how this is a picture of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We read how God gave favor to their Egyptian neighbors Um, for all the two million Israelites who did the first ever trick-or-treat, door-to-door collection of gold, silver, bronze, jewels, fabrics, and other materials that would be used later to build the tabernacle. We found the children of Israel hemmed in at the Red Sea by water on one side and the Egyptian army bearing down on them on the other. And we watched God supernaturally deliver them by opening up the sea and letting them cross on dry land. That detail is not lost on those of us who are mothers of boys. Because if it hadn't been dry ground, they would never have left the mud. It would have been too much fun. We heard the Israelites grumble when they had no water and God provided water miraculously. We heard them complain when they had no food and God provided manna and quail miraculously. We saw those people frustrate both Yahweh and Moses by being stiff-necked and rebellious. And if we were paying attention with our hearts, we had to admit, yeah, I know a little bit about being rebellious and stiff-necked myself. I've got that thing going on in my own heart. We read how God offered the covenant to his people, that they would be his people and he would be their God. And they answered by saying, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then, of course, they didn't. We saw Moses 
we, excuse me, we saw God give Moses the Ten Commandments up on Mount Sinai, and we trudged through chapter after chapter of instructions on the tabernacle, and we learned that every detail of the tabernacle, in one way or another, pointed us to its fulfillment in Jesus centuries later. We watched Moses ask God to show him his glory, and we saw God hide him in the cleft of the rock until it was safe for him to see the the goodness of God as God showed him his backside. And then we saw Moses come down off the mountain with his face so radiant that nobody could stand to look at him and he had to cover it with a veil. We read the story of the golden calf and Aaron's ridiculous and you gotta admit, funny excuse that I threw the gold into the fire and look, this calf came out. It's still, you know, all this time later, it still makes me laugh. But we saw the horrible consequences of Israel's rebellion and idolatry when Moses ground up that golden calf into powder and made the people drink it, and 3,000 people died that day. We saw that God was very serious about idolatry. We watched Moses take up an offering of all the good stuff the Israelites had plundered from their neighbors, the Egyptians. And there was more than enough to build the tabernacle. And finally, in this week's lesson, we saw that the the tabernacle was finished and God's glory filled it up so full that even Moses couldn't go in. And God came to dwell in the midst of his people. Exodus is a story of God rescuing redeeming, and revealing himself to his people. Let's look at those three things individually. God is a God who rescues. He rescued the Israelites from their bondage to slavery. Slaves cannot rescue themselves. People in bondage need a rescuer. They need a savior. But the Israelites had to do their part. They had to pack up their belongings. They had to pack up their lives and walk out of Egypt They had to cross the Red Sea themselves. They couldn't sit back and passively wait for Yahweh to wave some sort of magic wand and poof, they'd be changed and freed and have a whole different mindset. There is no magic in the kingdom. This is instructive to us when we're caught up in any kind of bondage. We have to do our part as well. We have to lean hard into Jesus and draw on his strength. We have to say no to ungodliness and say yes to Christ. We have to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. We have to spank our inner spoiled brat, our flesh, and learn to say no to ourselves. That's something that some of us have never learned. And then you become a a, a spouse or even more a parent, and you discover how selfish we really are. We have to face the fact, just as the Israelites did, that there is no painless method of being freed from bondage. We have to work with God in the process. There is no easy button. That is only for Staples commercials. Lots of people are slaves today, every bit as much as the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They're in bondage to addiction, they're in bondage to unhealthy relationships. They're in bondage to bad habits like pornography. Incredible numbers of women are caught in porn. If that's you, um, if you're just kind of freaking out over how this has its claws in you, let me encourage you that now that Watermark Plano has regen, that is a great place to get freed of that insidious and demonic hold on you. You don't get out of slavery by focusing on the slavery. And you don't get out of slavery by focusing on the slave master. You get out of slavery, you move from bondage to freedom by focusing on the one who said, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's John eight thirty six. Jesus is the one who sets us free. The Israelites were freed from their slavery in Egypt by depending on Yahweh. We are freed from our bondage by depending on Yahweh also who came in the flesh as Jesus Christ. I know something about bondage. 
I used to be in bondage to my anger at God for letting me get polio. I'm in good, good company with a lot of other people who've been freed from the bondage of various kinds of bad ways of thinking about ourselves and about the world, particularly when it comes to being hurt and we've got unforgiveness going on. Several years ago, Watermark made a little video. um, And so since I'm one of the three people in it, let me share a little bit of my story with you. My mother and aunts and uncles were all brought here um, early on in their life, but they were born in Thailand. And the pattern of just my family and how they were, it was just uh, uh, people with you know huge tempers, people that love to be violent. In the process of being taught uh, Buddhism, um, I started kind of falling away and becoming an atheist and believing unless there was a God. Um, and a big part of that was just the physical abuse in the home. I'm one of the last people to get polio before the vaccine was developed. It left me with a permanent limp and needing to wear orthopedic shoes and this ugly steel and leather brace. You know, my father was just very controlling and I just felt so powerless and alone. I was uh, sexually abused and he just kind of started with the oldest and went down the line. And I just started being a person who was, um, you know, very vengeful, very angry. And I also started filling in uh, this void and insecurity with, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol. As much as polio crippled my body, it crippled my soul a whole lot more. My identity was I was ugly cripple girl, and I hated the fact that I had polio, and I hated the fact that God let it happen. My first introduction to Christianity, real Christianity, um, was changing. It blew me away. I met someone who was a tremendously wise and discerning woman, and She was the one who pointed out that I had a heart full of anger and bitterness and resentment toward God. My father, uh, he's had health problems in and out of the hospital, multiple surgeries, and I always figured, um, you know, that was his punishment. My mother, she called me and she was like, um, he's he's out of the hospital this time and he's really sick, and he said out loud that he wanted to kill himself. It's the first time I felt compassion for that I've never felt before because this, this was a man that I hated. I think the Lord compelled me to just pick up the phone and he answered and I said, I just called to say I love you and I meant it. I just felt this baggage just come off my shoulders. I just felt really light. Although I could not imagine giving thanks for this horrible thing that had happened to me. I also found out as I did research that God never says to feel grateful, to feel thankful. He just says, give thanks. As I continued to give thanks over and over for these horrible things, what I discovered is that I was releasing the anger out of my heart. One prayer at a time, I was letting go into God's hands. Seeing my mom now in a different light as someone who just just really wants to be loved on, um, who's been physically abused all her life as well. Uh, And so instead of looking at her and going, hey, you beat me, I can look at her now in such a different light of saying, I know what it feels to be abused. In fact, you were the abuser, um, but I've forgiven you. And um, gosh, I've been entrusted with such such riches in Christ. Um, Who am I not to share that with her? God allowed polio in my life because he had really good reasons for it, because he wanted to bring good to me and to other people, because he wanted to bring glory to himself. Now, I just have so much to live for, and and I want to live. I want to live it. I love the verse, uh, Joel, in in chapter 3, verse 23, where he says, um, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Um, And as a prophet is speaking, it's just... uh, God will finish the work. God will replace all the abuse and the pain and suffering in your life if you just let him. I love the stories of God at work 
in the people around here. I have three other stories to share with you this morning. Um, But God is not only a God who rescues, he's also a God who reveals himself to us through his word. He revealed himself in one of what I think is one of the most powerful passages in the entire Bible in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Then the Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands and forgives iniquity, transgressions and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. One of the things that we as Bible study teachers and leaders love is when you start to see God differently because of how you've been studying his word. We love when you adjust your thinking about your heavenly father because the truth of the scriptures bangs into your wrong beliefs that you picked up from somewhere or you tried to figure them out on your own or you applied how your heavenly father or your earthly pastor acted and you think, oh, that must be what God is like. And So during our say-so time, we would love to hear how your understanding of God has changed through your study of Exodus this year. I love these aspects of his character that he reveals to us, particularly in these two verses in Exodus, that he's compassionate, which means he's, he doesn't have compassion from a distance. He feels with us. He's gracious, meaning that he treats us much better than we deserve. He is slow to anger. He is patient. He remembers that we are but dust. He is abounding in loving kindness and truth. Abounding. He does not measure them out with an eyedropper. He's just got tons and tons of loving kindness for thousands. Loving kindness and truth. Um, it says he also keeps loving kindness for thousands. This is said. Love that Hebrew word. At any rate, that's that wonderful word that talks about the faithful love of God. And my favorite translation of it comes from the Jesus Storybook Bible, calling it God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the kind of love that he has for, for us. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Every form of messing up, he forgives. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He is a God of justice. He's not going to let people get away with stuff because he wasn't catching it. He visits the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. The goodness in this is that God spreads out the effect of sin over three and four generations so that it doesn't devastate the one person or the one generation that incurred the sin. He spreads it out and then he gives grace to those that are experiencing it. One of your other faithful Bible study teachers, uh, Meredith, um, has a story of how God revealed himself to her. After trusting Christ as a young girl, she prided herself on being obedient to her parents and teachers and being friendly and kind to everyone. She dreamed of one day marrying the most godly man, one who would lead her well and desire to raise a house full of children. But within months of her wedding, she was hospitalized with blood clots that covered 70% of her lungs. The The doctor who diagnosed her was baffled as to how she was even still alive. The blood doctors told her that having children was extremely dangerous and he did not advise that she ever get pregnant. She went and found a payphone, called her mom and bawled. She had expectations of what her life should look like and she relied on her husband to meet those expectations. And when he didn't do that, she got angry and grew bitter and resentful. She didn't know how to submit to John's authority and she felt like he was against her. 
Her fantasy of happily ever after crashed and burned into one battle after another filled with depression and anger and constant disappointment. She was angry at God and didn't understand why all those years she spent loving him and serving him and obeying him, why didn't things work work out the way her fantasy was scripted? So she kept turning to her husband to make her happy, and he kept not making her happy. They brought their first son into their family through adoption, but that wasn't enough to make her happy. Then she had two very dangerous pregnancies, very scary pregnancies, and those two sons didn't make her happy either. Her heart had turned bitter and resentful. She would get mad at John all the time, yelling and screaming at him, and as a result, he grew cold and distant. Her high expectations were killing her marriage, deflating her children, and creating distance between her and her friends. She didn't respect John. She didn't submit to his God-given authority in their home. They fought all the time. There were times that one would leave just to get away from the other. One night, Meredith was sleeping in the guest room after a big fight. And the next morning, John came to her and said, Look, I love you, but we cannot continue this way. Watermark was starting re-engage that night, and they were going to go. He didn't invite her. He informed her, We're doing this. So she prickled all over. But even though she didn't respect him, Meredith loved the Lord, and she needed to follow his lead. So reluctantly, but faithfully, she went to re-engage every Wednesday night for six months. And it was hard. It was hard to stop looking at John to fix everything. Hard to take him down off the pedestal of being the perfect Prince Charming, whose job it was to make her happy. It was hard to start recognizing where she was wrong. For the six months that re-engage ran, they went every single Wednesday. But it wasn't until someone advised her to get on her knees daily and pray for John that her heart softened and changed. She found herself being drawn to him instead of drawn away from him. She found Proverbs 31, 10 through 12, which says, An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And Meredith wanted to be that kind of wife to her husband. She spent more time in God's word, and he revealed to her what it meant to have oneness in their marriage. And God gradually replaced the idol of happiness and her own expectations of life with the love for himself. He allowed her to see his perfect goodness, and that his perfect plan for her was far better than her expectation of others and her plans for her own life. God revealed to her so much about herself and so much about himself, like the fact that he needed to be on the throne of her life rather than her. He revealed that her expectations needed to be only in him. He redefined how she saw marriage, how she saw herself, and how she saw him. God showed her that he was the creator of marriage and it was a perfect design made for imperfect people. But by relying on his love and design, everything would work out for their good and for his glory. Meredith knows something about the God who reveals. God also revealed himself to be the God who is sovereign. Back in the early stages of Exodus, Pharaoh could have been that Rick Roller song saying, I'm never going to let you go. But God laughed because God was in control and Pharaoh was not. The God who knows the end from the beginning is a God who keeps his promises because he knows everything, because he's all-powerful and all-seeing. And he is able to make all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, which is Romans 8, 28. God always keeps his promises because he can. He is sovereign. Honestly, this is the one thing about God that has been more comforting to me than anything I know, that a loving God is in control and I can trust him. Nothing can touch us that does not have his permission. It's like we're wrapped in spiritual bubble wrap. It's a protective coating and nothing can get through that bubble wrap without his permission. And if it does make it through the bubble wrap, the process of making it through that coating transforms whatever it is that's touching us into an instrument of grace and purpose. 
God reveals himself to be the God who is glorious. In Exodus, we saw God reveal his visible glory, that which is great and beautiful and powerful and heavy and has substance about him. He did that several times within Exodus. Remember the burning bush? And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. It descended on Mount Sinai when the covenant was ratified. When God showed his goodness to Moses up on the mountain, God's glory was there. And finally, when they finished building the tabernacle, God filled it with his glory. The progression in the Bible is that first, God's presence was in the tabernacle. And then later on, when they were in the promised land, God's presence was in the temple. And then now in the New Testament, it's in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God fills us with his glory the way he filled the tabernacle in Exodus 40. But we can't see it in ourselves. If you go look in the mirror going, where's the glory? You're not going to see it. It doesn't stream out of your eyes or your pores. But other people can see it. We see it in each other. It's a different kind of visible glory. One of the things I treasure most about Watermark is people's willingness to show their cracks and imperfections because that's often where we see God's glory shining through. Just as Meredith was willing to be so open about her story of grace with John, Alicia wanted to share her story with Jason, and she's still in the middle of it. She says, rescue, redeem, and reveal are consistent themes throughout Exodus and truly the whole counsel of Scripture. As she has worked through this study, she can't help but see this undeniable paradigm in her own life and lately through her marriage. God is daily allowing her the privilege of seeing him reveal himself through her struggles and trust him in his daily manna provision and redeem her sin and life for good and ultimately his great glory. God's been pressing on Alicia's heart to share a current Red Sea moment that she's walking through. It's often easy to tell the stories of past successes and talk about the remember whens and the redemptive endings. And it's so good to go back and remember um, and celebrate our Passovers. But it's good to um, believe that he's with us in our trials remembering that he is never still, he's always fighting for us, that his timing is perfect, and he hears our cries and prayers through it all. Right now, God is trying to teach Alicia how to trust him in her marriage through her role as supportive wife to Jason. She never thought this aspect of marriage would be so difficult, and she does have an amazing husband. As a background, which she asked me to share, right after having their second child, Sage, Jason chose to engage in an ongoing conversation with a female friend over social media that led to messaging that was inappropriate. He quickly ended the cyber relationship, but it left Alicia feeling, feeling, excuse me, betrayed, timid to trust his heart, his judgment, and his love for her. She was instantly insecure about her looks, her adequacy, and her worth, especially ever after just having had a baby three weeks prior, being 65 pounds heavier, leaking out of every part of her body, and restricted to intimacy for eight weeks following her C-section. She was devastated, and her world was rocked. She had no idea how much she had put their relationship on a pedestal, on the throne. Jason and their marriage were her Egyptian gods, And the Lord was using this particular situation to dismantle it from the throne and reveal himself as the only true and perfect source of unfailing love and identity and faithfulness in her life. Pre-marriage, Jason had remained sexually pure until their wedding day. He was 31 years old. Alicia hadn't. When they first met, she thought there was no way this guy would want to date her, let alone marry her. She felt he deserved better. He deserved pure and untainted. And in that moment, when he responded in grace, Jason became Jesus to her. He didn't care about her past failures. He told her he cared most about where she was at the present, struggling to fight against sin, struggling to cling to Jesus. Such grace. And now she had the chance to extend to him the same grace. 
Although she's forgiven Jason, she finds there are times that she will doubt his leadership and trust his motives and not give him the respect and encouragement that he needs. She often expects him to be perfect and to lead perfectly. Her expectations of him, she says, can be unfair and unachievable. As she's processing through this, Alicia said she was thinking about God's call on Moses to be God's mouthpiece, his intercessor, and the physical presence of leadership. God revealed that his plan doesn't require perfection. Moses was far from perfect, which we now know in his obedience. Remember, God almost killed him when he didn't circumcise his son. His inadequacies, his lack of godly decisions, and his far from perfect follow-throughs. But God's plan required that the people still trust the man that he had put in charge. The people had to trust that God would work out his plan through this imperfect human man, Moses. Moses was not God and wasn't meant to be. The people had to trust God through Moses, imperfect Moses. And Alicia says that's where she's at right now, needing to learn to trust God with an imperfect husband as an imperfect wife. It's not that she's got this victorious end of the story, tie it up in a red bow kind of story. That's where she is right now. And she wanted me to share that with you. But then there's one other element of what we saw in Exodus, and that is the God who redeems. There are several aspects to the word redeem in the Old Testament. It can mean to buy back or to pay money as a substitute. But in Exodus, when God refers to redeeming his people, he means reclaiming what is rightfully his. And when he told his people that I will redeem you, he meant you are mine and I'm going to get you back. Once a dad gave his little boy a gift on his birthday. It was a do-it-yourself little boat. The little boy spent many hours building it into a beautiful little sailboat, crafting it down to the finest detail. He then took it to a nearby river to sail it. He played with it every day after school. One day, he put it in the water to play with it, and an unexpected wind came up and moved it away from him very quickly. Though he chased it along the bank, he couldn't keep up with it. Between the strong wind and the strong current, it carried his boat far away. The heartbroken little boy knew how hard he would have to work to build another sailboat. Farther down the river, a man found the little boat, took it to town, and sold it to a shopkeeper. A few days later, as the boy was walking through town, he noticed a boat in his store window. When he went near, it looked exactly like his lost boat. Entering the store, he looked at it closely and he told the shopkeeper, That's my boat. It belongs to me. It has his his own little marks on it, but he couldn't prove to the shopkeeper that the boat was his. And the man, the shopkeeper said, the only way you're going to get this boat is to buy it from me. The boy wanted that boat back so badly that he did exactly that. He went and earned the money to pay for the boat and buy it. As he took the boat from the hand of the shopkeeper, he looked at it and said, little boat, Now you are twice mine. Once I made you, and now I bought you. God's people were twice his. He made them, and then he redeemed them and brought them back. The Israelites were in bondage to Pharaoh as if they belonged to him, and God basically roared, These people are mine, and I'm going to take them back. And he did. He swooped in with power and glory and he took two million slaves out of Egypt to be with him. One final story of your teachers is Randy who can testify that God redeems even something as awful as cancer. Randy had a kind, several years ago, had a kind of breast cancer that was strongly hormone positive. After chemo and surgery to remove both her breasts in order to inhibit her hormones, they put her into a medically induced menopause. There was only a 50% chance that her ovaries would ever function again, which meant no more biological children. They had one little girl. In July of 2014, her oncologist allowed a one-year break from her cancer meds to try and take her body out of menopause in hopes of having a baby. 
and Randy's ovaries came back online partially. She had a chance to get pregnant, but it wasn't happening. And the clock was ticking. They started seeing a fertility doctor. She had three rounds of intrauterine insemination. Two of them failed to conceive. But God had bigger plans for her heart than a baby could fill. God led Matt and Randy to that desperate place of wanting him more than a baby. The God of the last minute waited until the last day before the year was up, the day before she was to go back to the oncologist and start back on her cancer meds, and they found out she was pregnant. Oh, the mercy God poured out on them. And Saturday, four days ago, Mercy Bell Weidman was born. Eight pounds, three ounces of miraculous grace is what Randy captioned this picture on Facebook. But Mercy came out with the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck, not breathing. They laid her blue limp body on Randy's chest and had to call for a code red. As the team of doctors and nurses did all they could to resuscitate her, God breathed life into little Mercy Bell. Randy says she cried the most beautiful cry she has ever heard. That is little Miss Mercy Bell Weidman because God is a God who redeems and rescues and reveals and he is faithful even through something as awful as cancer. We, as your Bible study teachers, are privileged to share our hearts and our lives with you so that you know that we are just as passionate about pursuing the Lord as we pray and hope you will be. And that's one of the things we are so looking forward to, um, to hearing from you in terms of how God has been at work in your group, in your heart, in your family, what has he revealed to you? How has he redeemed you? Um, what has he been doing in you this year as we've been going through Exodus in Bible study? It is exciting to have a say-so time, which comes from Psalm 106. One, Psalm, one of the Psalms says, um, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. <laughs> Forgot to check it out. And so we're looking forward to hearing what you have to say from that. But let me close this in prayer first. Father, thank you for being Yahweh God, the God who rescues, redeems, and reveals. Thank you for being so active in our lives this year. Thank you for this amazing study that we got to enjoy We just want to um, give you praise and glory for how active you've been in our Bible study. We want to thank you for all the precious ladies that are here today. And we invite you, Lord, to be um, the nudger and the mover of our sharing time as we have our wonderful say-so experience of hearing from each other. Um, Holy Spirit, would you please touch the hearts of those who have a story to share that would bless the rest of us and make their hearts beat really fast and um, let, them, let people find themselves on their feet, not knowing how they got there, but knowing that you did it because they have a story to share that will bless us and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so hi, my name's Victoria, and um, I'm in Natalie's and Leslie's group, and they've been really good to me, and actually, Tetty invited me, but I want to bless the Lord, and I want to bless you, because God's timing was perfect for me to come to the study, because God had been revealing to me that I had an idol in my life, and that I was enslaved to wanting the love and affirmation of my parents, who I don't have a relationship with right now. But um, I didn't really know that until I came. And the Lord has been rescuing me from that. And I've been going to Regen. But um, it's been such an idol in my life. I, I, I came to know the Lord when I was 11. And I have a relationship with God. But it was like 
my golden calf because you can't really touch God. <laughs> you can't really see God. And so I long to have a, a good relationship with my parents, especially with my father. But there was just, there's been very little relationship um, there, you know, all my life. But as soon as um, I began grieving and turning away from trying to get that affirmation from my parents, I turned around and I found that the Lord had his arms open wide for me and that he wanted to draw me into a deeper relationship with him. And I have been experiencing the love of my Abba Father. And uh, yesterday I was just driving in the car and I was like, Lord, why... Why have you allowed me to go through this all my life? And, you know, I see other people and they have a great relationship with their parents. And why don't I have that? Because it's made a difference, you know, in who I am. And it was like he was speaking to my heart and he was saying, I am a jealous God and you're my baby girl. And I want you to have a relationship with me. And so he is redeeming my life. And um, I just want to bless the Lord. Meredith was there when I shared um, kind of at the beginning of Bible study. Um, I've just been super blessed uh, through this Bible study. And I actually, for some reason, I did childcare like super late. I signed up, so we didn't get to come for the first few weeks. But God's so good, and he's in the details. And like, I've just, every Wednesday that I've come, it's been such an impact. I actually found out I was pregnant right before starting Bible study and was like really excited about coming because it's high risk and I wasn't supposed to be moving around much. And I have a two-year-old boy at home. So I was like, I need to keep him busy and active. So again, Lord, you know, he knows his timing is perfect. And so right when like I was at the most risk, you know, of my pregnancy, they called and were like, Hey, like childcare opened up. Um, so y'all can come. And I was like, Oh, praise God. I was like so excited. Um, so I came and, um, shared with my group as well that, um, I almost lost the pregnancy again after losing one last year. So it's just been so encouraging and I'm, I'm still pregnant, praise God. So, um, 27, almost 28 weeks. So, um, just really encouraging coming and having, you know, the ladies pray for me and just keeping me in the word and just reminding, you know, me of all of God's characteristics. Um, also right before the break, first time ever experienced, um, job loss. My husband lost his job in the middle of like almost the end of my first trimester. So that's really scary, but, um, it's just been such a blessing. And I just wanted to encourage everyone again, just coming to Bible study has been such a difference in mine and my husband's life. Cause I wouldn't have responded as gracefully and kindly and prayerfully had I not been going through Bible study. Um, so again, the Lord's changing my heart and changing my marriage and my family and everything just through um, coming and having that accountability of the ladies in my group and the teachings every week. So for us, it's been a huge blessing this season of going through this Bible study, and it's my first time ever. So I've been wanting to come since forever ago, but but yes, so just wanted Thank to Thank you. Yeah. Tell us your name. Myra. Myra. Yes. Bless you. Glad you're here. Don't forget, we want to hear if God has changed your perception of him through the study of his word. I'm Virginia, and I've been blessed to be led by Nikki and Jennifer um, this past year, I guess. And um, I would say that the verse that really just kind of hit me in the face was Exodus 14, 14, where it said, you only need to be still and I will fight for you. Um, I have a son, my oldest son, who's 17 now, has been um, chronically ill with migraines and um, to the point where he had surgery this summer and it worked. And um, I still believe that God used that to provide healing for him. But even today, he had one. Um, But I'm in a different place now. I felt earlier um, that I was in that corner with the fire and, um, sorry, I didn't expect this. Um, just putting my dependence on him and letting him fight and not trying to take control. So it's a good place to be. It's a hard place, but it's a good place. Thank you. Way to go group 10. 
Um, hi, my name is Paulina, and my English is very bad, so sorry. Um, it's, it's beautiful to be here between just go and who loves the Lord. I'm sorry. Um, my father was alcoholic and very abusive, and he knew the Lord a few years before dying, and it's been beautiful. Our life has been really transformed. And I'm married. Uh, my husband is um, is not Christian, and he's been a very fine. He always tells me if I came to a Christian church, he, he don't wants to be with me. Um, but there's beautiful to know the word, the Lord, and <laughs> sorry, and. It's, I can see how God has a beautiful plan in my life. And I don't know, it's just thank you for, for sharing his word. And I'm sorry. Hey guys, my name is Rebecca. And as some of you guys know, I have three little babies that I love. They are my treasures, three and under. Um, So my days are filled with teaching and correcting and hugging it out and things like that. So anyway, I just want to say that in a time, a unique unique time in my life that won't last forever, where it's, um, I really have to be kind of, on point. Like I, it very easily get distracted by frustration. And so as a person who's in authority over these little hearts, like I can, I can show them that, um, that God is merciful and patient and he desires the best for them. Or I could show him that he, like his wrath, right? Like just, there's no patience for that. And like, I taught you better than that which he has. And so anyway, I just want to say that um, this year, the song of Moses that's in Exodus 15 says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And so just knowing that it's comforting to to come under his banner and say, God, you've already won this war. These little hearts are yours. And because I'm in the scriptures, because of this study, I can share what I'm learning with them and, and really show them that mama needs a heart change too. And so that we've been able to pray together. And so anyway, this is great. And thanks. Praise God. Um, I'm Sally, and I've just been thinking, um, my view of God, I guess, the area that it's changed. Um, I think I've kind of just recently identified um, that I have been putting my identity in um, the wrong thing, just seeing, having a view of myself as being somehow broken, um, and not viewing myself as this tabernacle that he wants to dwell in me, and I'm his masterpiece, and he's, he's created me for a purpose, and um, how freeing it is to know that I can take my identity back to that. He, um, I may not be um, exactly perfect the way that I wanted my story to go, um, but he has made me for a purpose. And um, also just seeing that I was really challenged by the Exodus 33 part where, he, where Moses actually says, show me your glory. Um, and I've just been kind of, something that the Lord's been teaching me is just, hunger for me like it's beautiful when you need me and depend on me and um, I think it was the first time that he kind of confirmed to me in three different ways like in this study and then in the Esther study and Thursday nights just in several different ways in the same week kind of just this word of show me your glory um, and just praying that and and really hungering for him and seeing as seeing the neediness in me as something that he loves and he wants to reveal himself so that was a part of his character that I really needed to to be reminded of. So I'm so grateful for this study and um, just love being in a room full of sisters who want to um, just be used as masterpieces. So, 
Okay, um, I just love the, I'm Amanda, I'm at Jess Gober's table. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Okay, um, I love the lesson of um, God leading the Israelites in a really weird route and that led them into the wilderness. Um, and it's not just like he allowed them to go through something hard, it was like he brought them there. <laughs> and that was the view that changed for me was... Um, I kind of looked at hard times as my fault, and sometimes they are. <laughs> um, but my view was changed that God led me there, you know. And then He taught me something about myself and about Him, and then He helped me out. So that was mine. Thank you. Um, okay, so right from the beginning, chapter and two. And you are. Oh, I'm Kelly. Um, From the beginning of chapter 2, one of the qualities of God was at the end um, of chapter 2, it says, And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help, and their cry for rescue came up to God. He heard their moaning. He remembered his covenant. He saw and he knew. And so um, this is the part where I might start crying. Um, But um, I guess from this lesson, the, the thing that has had the triumphs and the failures um, for me lately is my marriage and just having um, just the ebb and the flow of um, being angry at my husband and being gracious and forgiving. And um, he, I think he'd be okay. With, I know he'd be okay with me sharing, but um, he um, struggles with pornography like a lot of men do. And um, and I love that this church is a safe place where we even talk about that. And so um he relapsed before the study started, um, and it's this time I got really angry, and I didn't have as much grace as I had um, the year prior, and um, and so it's it's like okay, it gets revealed, and then let's go study God's word and let me um, carry you, and so that just um, was a verse that really spoke to me that He sees, He hears. Um, and so it just got me on my knees to pray for him and it's, you know, it's a real struggle. And, um, we went through leader training to be, um, serving as facilitators for re-engage and I'm kind of like, really, where you want us to serve? Like we're still, you know, in the middle of the struggle and I appreciate Alicia just being real about where they are right now as well. And, um, anyways, it's just, a safe place. Marriage is hard. And I just want to invite all of you th- to come hear our story and hear more about what God's done because we're out of time. But um, we're going to share on April 18th. Um, but just re-engage is an awesome place just to take your marriage where it is and, and grow. And it's all about your walk with Christ. So it's not, um, you know, about your marriage as much as it is about focusing on um, Christ first. And so it's just been awesome to see him work um, and we're in a much better place. And I love serving with him and he um, is walking strongly with Christ um, more now than at the beginning of the year. And um, so God's been hearing and answering and seeing. So I wanted to share that. Okay, I'm going to sneak one last one in. My name is Sheila, and um, I think the thing that I've focused or my heart has been on this semester is just that the Lord doesn't give up on us, and I think I have given up on thinking that certain people in my life can um, come to know the Lord. I think they're so far away that I begin to think that it's, it's not possible. You know, years and years of prayer, you start to get weary, but when you read through Exodus and how the Lord has didn't give up on them and he continued to pursue and continue to reveal himself until, until they were ready to see his true light. And um, my brother-in-law passed away a week and a half ago from um, pancreatic cancer. It was really fast. And we know that he was saved, but there wasn't a lot of fruit to his walk. But his estranged wife did not know the Lord. And, um, and it's kind of a scary situation that she's got control of the kids right now and so we're real worried and we've been praying for both of them for years but her especially and as Sue was talking today she sent a text and said that she is really questioning her faith and her beliefs and her faith and her beliefs is one of Jehovah's Witness that they don't believe in heaven or that people can get to heaven and 
my husband um, did the service along with his twin. And even though he knew the audience was a lot of Jehovah's Witness, he shared his faith. And he shared about where Blake is now. And I am so hopeful and excited that what she's questioning is God revealing himself. Um, And I'm just grateful that he has shown me not to give up on her. Thank you. It is 1158. If there is anybody in this room whose heart is seriously going to tachycardia, that is the Holy Spirit saying you have two minutes left to share. Okay. Okay. My name is Stephanie. I have ADD. I'm going to try to focus and be fast. Okay. A part of my ADD is also what I've just been recently diagnosed with is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It's an autoimmune disease. Um, If you're going to have an autoimmune disease, it's the one you want because there is conventional treatment. But I've been on treatment for 22 years for thyroid disease, and things weren't changing. I did some research over the last five years, thought I had Hashimoto's. I get sick a lot. I have aches and pains all the time. My thyroid goes up and down and up and down, and as do my emotions. And it is very frustrating. Um, The ADD gets to me. I struggle with infertility. Um, or struggled with infertility and probably still will um, because of had the Hashimoto's, including the uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. There's so many things to this illness. I knew I had it, but every endocrinologist I went to said, no, I'm not going to test for it. If you have it, you're already on treatment for it, so who cares? And I kept saying, this is not the end. I cannot end with this. There has to be something. And I kept praying to God, please show me something. Please show me something. Um, I quit praying about it. I kind of gave up. And I went to my doctor a few months ago. She said, you know why your thyroid goes up and down? You have Hashimoto's. I said, prove it, damn it. I was so frustrated and so angry. And I still am at those doctors. I'm still, still struggling. Something I learned through this study that came at the perfect time because I was diagnosed finally as my primary care doctor cared enough to go through the testing process, confirm the diagnosis. And not only that, she said, there is hope. There is treatment for this. And I said, I know there is, but it's natural. It's through diet changes. It's through, you know, you're going you're gonna to be okay, Stephanie. She said, you're going to be okay. I'm going to get you through this. And she told me that over the phone on a night when I told my husband I was done with this disease. She had called me that night and said, Stephanie, something's wrong with you and I feel it. What is wrong with you? And so I realized through this study and through reading in God's word, he wants a relationship with us. And he will go through whatever he has to, to meet our needs and to show us that he loves us and cares for us. I have so much more I would like to say. Thank you, ADD. I have so much more I'd like to say. But just I just I thank God for reaching out through my physician, through my doctor, um, who's also a Christian, to give me hope, help me have hope for this disease that's a living nightmare sometimes. So thank you for listening. Thanks for letting me share. Those of you who have never been at a say-so, now you know why we get very excited about doing this. (laughs) Because God's been busy, busy, busy in this group this year. And we are so grateful for those of you who shared. And we are grateful to God for doing work in people that didn't share. Just just because you didn't stand up and say anything doesn't mean that God wasn't (laughs) way busy. We're going to miss you guys over um, the rest of the spring and the summer, but there will be a, a summertime Bible study. Um, we, those of us who came from Dallas to start the Plano Women's Bible Study have been blessed beyond measure by how good God has been to give us this incredibly sweet, sweet spirit. Um, the, the leaders 
are very cohesive in their mutual love and respect and appreciation for each other. The amazing women that God brought in and filled the tables that you're sitting at. It has been such a joy. Um, I just, I want you to know, I have been in group eight and there's just been a little glory corner going on in our room (laughs) because he just keeps being so busy, busy, busy. We love you. We are so grateful that you have come and entrusted us with your Wednesday mornings, that you have been faithful to study God's word. Um, We pray that the lessons of Exodus will imprint on your heart and in your spirit and will leave you changed literally forever. Let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you so, so much for not just today, but this whole year and the incredible privilege that it is to meet freely in an open building like this that's so comfortable. Thank you that not a single one of us feared that we would lose our lives today because we were openly meeting to study your word and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. I thank you for those that shared their stories today. Thank you for the courage that it took to stand up and speak into a microphone. When we know that a lot of people feel that public speaking is, the fear of public speaking is greater than the fear of death. Um, And so thank you for them. And thank you for all the stories that we didn't hear about because you're a good, good father who releases power and grace and life change and transformation into each one of us because you love us and you're busy making us into the image of your son, Jesus, in whose holy and precious name we pray, amen.